Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thanks so much for joining us today. You know, since this podcast started, which was 100 plus episodes ago, I've talked to people from a lot of different fields, psychologists, tech entrepreneurs, HR leaders, specialists in corporate communications, designers, but I have never spoken to an anthropologist. And you might not know this, I don't think I really gave it a lot of thought, but anthropologists study societies and cultures, so they are people who have a lot of insights on work and organizations value what they have to say, or at least in some cases they do. Their insights can help organizations look to the future, and that is certainly something that's really important at the moment when you're looking at the future of work. So on this episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Lisbeth Simmons. Lisbeth has a really cool job. She's senior anthropologist and futurist with Cisco, which of course is a tech company, but clearly they value what Lisbeth can bring to the table to complement everything else that they do. I had a really fascinating discussion with Lisbeth. She has a different viewpoint, perhaps, than some of my other guests. Uh, Really interesting insights. Please stay with us to hear the discussion. anthropologist tell us about the future of work. To talk about that, I'm joined by Lisbeth Simmons. She is senior anthropologist and futurist with Cisco. Lisbeth, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I have so many questions about your work now, but I'm interested in how you ended up doing this. What leads you to be, well, not first an anthropologist, but also an anthropologist with a tech company? Well, I'm, I trained as an anthropologist and a sociologist, and in the early part of my career, I was a professor in the area of social justice. And then and now I use anthropological research such as ethnography because I want to understand human behavior and human needs. And then I put that in context by using sociology because it frames those dynamics in larger social and cultural conditions and economic context. So I'm looking at both micro and macro dynamics together. And when I put those two approaches together, I can amplify voices and then come up with those really big, meaningful solutions that are that are human-centered and data-driven. And it turns out that this is has incredible value for business organizations because organizations are really working toward customer success. And the approach allows the delivery of the right solutions, you know, the ones that really matter, that matter to the people you're trying to serve. And so that is how I moved from academia into the corporate world where I now work at Cisco. Well, I can see that your skills would be useful to a corporation, but I'm still a little bit surprised that corporations are forward thinking enough to say, let's have an anthropologist working here. How unusual is this? Or is it? It's a growing field. Uh, about five years ago, as I was, I was, I had already started making the transition, but people started recognizing that there was a field for business anthropology. And that anthropologists were really focusing on customer needs in a, in a very different way. They knew how to gather a whole a different set of data. And that were it was nuanced. It wasn't just about what customers were showing on the surface. It was about what was underneath that. It was sort of like, uh, if you think about an iceberg, we could look at just what the surface was. But really, 90% of what was going on was below the water. It was the values 
and aspirations and fears and and customers' emotional states. So businesses started turning to anthropologists to uncover all of that depth. That's really cool. I mean, maybe we should just define what does an anthropologist do? That's great. So anthropologists typically use a methodology called ethnography to really embed themselves in a community and try to figure out what's going on from the perspective of those community members rather than making those determinations from the outside. And the reason why that's so valuable is that anthropologists, when they're getting that participant perspective, it's very, very accurate. They're they're watching behavior as it's unfolding in real time and then trying to interpret it with information that they have from the context to figure out what's going on and, and how could things be made better to make life more habitable for a group of people or to improve equality for people. So you can see where it becomes relevant, not just for social justice work, but in, in the world of business and, and with regard to the future of work. Okay, let's take that a bit at a time. You mentioned customers, right? But are you also involved with what's going on inside the company, the community there? I am. So now when we have this capability embedded in the organizations, you can use that to look at employee experience and customer experience. And then you could wrap the whole thing in the study of experience management. And so I I both look at high-performance work cultures um, within our company, but also I, I look outside the company and think about, you know, what are the emerging trends with regard to work and how are people having to, for example, learn differently in order to create a high performance work culture? Okay, let's talk about culture because, you know, we hear this a lot. The corporate culture in this company is different from somewhere else or in this industry. Do you think that's true? And if you want to create the corporate culture you want, are there things that you flag as important? There are things that I flag that are important. I think broadly, I think and this applies in anthropology and, and in the corporate world where I use anthropology is that people want to be seen and heard and valued. That's true for employees and that's true for customers. And so how you listen and, and the systems that you have to bring meaning into people's work, the kind of connectedness that people can have, that's really important. And the, the, that attention that you have to to giving recognition when someone did a really great job, uh, making them feel like their work brings value and has a purpose. Uh, that's critical for creating a high-performance work culture, and it's true in every organization, whether you're looking at, at uh, teach, teachers in schools or students in the classroom or whether you're looking at in people in an industry like my own. Okay, so let's you know talk about what kind of projects you work on. I'm really curious about this. Is it different all the time or are there set responsibilities for an anthropologist? It's different all the time. And my last project had to do with high performance work culture, uh, where I was looking at it outside in, in other in other industries and thinking about what can we learn and how can we put best practices in play. Um, but I also run big studies on the future of work and try to learn from the workforce. So uh, my my last study was a a study that engaged 1,400 members of the global workforce focusing on knowledge workers. And we had them uh, basically fill out diary entries and write to us about what their experiences were at work and home. And um, and then we sort of, we, that was the anthropological work that was sort of somewhat ethnographic in nature. And then we understood that 
using secondary research that we did on, on trends in the global workforce. So in that case, we're reading lots of, I'm reading lots of academic journals, uh, really, really studying the work of my colleagues and putting that all together to develop this picture of what is the modern workforce. And of course, work has changed so radically in the last few years that now we really need to reimagine you know, what work is and how do people do it and how do they connect in, in these new in the new orbits that they find themselves in. Well, can you share some of the conclusions you've come up with? I sure. Yeah. Well, you know, flexibility continues to be something that workers put a really high value on. They want flexibility and autonomy. And, you know, many workers now depend on that flexibility just to make their lives work. They want to show up for their families. Uh, They want that flexibility just to make it work. They want to keep all the balls in the air. And it's, it's, not just because people love doing laundry uh, and during their lunch hour. It's because, you know, without the financial means to subcontract out that labor, they've got to work it into the day because otherwise it's chaos. Uh, but there's a flip side. And the flip side of flexibility and autonomy is isolation. And, and it can feel extreme for workers. Workers are expressing that they're stressed, they're 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 disconnected, and some suggest that they're disconnected to the point of alienation. And it's it's paradoxical, right, to think that for a workforce that is so constantly connected through our network devices, that they would feel so disconnected from from work and and their colleagues. You know, our devices are always on. Um, but only about 15% of people would say that they feel highly connected to other humans in the workplace. So what's lacking, and I think it's lacking in our larger world, really, is just like, well, you know, what are those high quality connections? Um, and that, of course, you know, you're queuing up, oh, there's a new role for managers here in creating that high quality connection and making our workers feel that they have the flexibility and autonomy that they need, uh, but they're not all on their own to figure it out. They're not saddled with the full burden of self-management uh, and, and feeling like their planet's out of orbit. So, you know, we're beginning to understand that managers just have a new role to play here in this in the new world of modern work. And, you know, I used to talk to a lot of people about this issue and others. And I have to say, I don't think organizations are doing an amazing job of making it easy for managers. Right? It, they feel alone. And you have this knee-jerk reaction. We have to have people back in. We need it to be hybrid at least two days. No, let's make it three days. We can't make this work. What do you find interesting about that model? Like how this is evolving? About the hybrid model. The hybrid model. Well, we're partway through it, right? We haven't really decided on a model. We have not really decided on a model. That is true. I think we are really still trying to figure it out. You know, it's interesting, you know, following the news, uh, you know, one month you'll hear, you know, hybrid work is here to stay. And a couple months later, uh, it's on its way out. <laughs> and it's back to stay. So we really haven't figured it out. Um, I think that we really need to listen differently so that we can ask. We need to ask new questions and listen differently so we understand sort of what employees are experiencing the same as we need to understand what our customers are experiencing. And I think that becomes part of the role of the manager is to listen, understand what those needs are at work and also beyond work. Because if people are working from home, that, that the context of work sort of 
merges with the context of home. So they need to have just a broader scope of understanding about who their uh, employees are and um, and who their colleagues are and sort of how can we work together to sort of build on build on those strengths. So I think the role of the manager is expanding um, and needs to be focused on asking the right questions and, and listening. And with regard to hybrid work, I just, I think we need to, that listening will allow us to generate new ideas and reimagine what that hybrid workplace is and can be. Sorry, it's happening at the same time a lot of other things are happening. And I'm thinking of AI, uh, technology in general, you have to remake the workforce, you're not exactly sure what skills you need. What would you, what what do you think of when you think of that and the shifts that are going to happen in the workplace? With regard to AI? Yeah. Well, right now we're we're trying to understand what what AI what the capabilities are and what it means for us. So there's a lot of testing. You know, there's a lot of just exploring and discovery. And um I think a lot of workers are trying to figure it out for themselves. Some are independently exploring the world of AI and trying to figure out what the implications might be for their role. Uh, managers are trying to figure out what the implications would be for their team. And of course, companies are, are tasked with understanding what does this mean for, 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 their, for their future and in all their products and their services. So I think that that's something that we're all really trying to explore more deeply. And we, again, we don't have all the answers to that. No, we don't. But, but you know, if you're thinking about corporate, Corporate culture, which you know, I have to think it's going to be really different if your coworker is a robot, or yeah. <laughs> it's not even really a joke. I mean, robots are a thing already, and you know, we're mixing that. And maybe it's not even the idea that the robot's there, but people are getting a little bit frightened. I think. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right, and I think that um, as an anthropologist, my perspective on it is that the there will be a premium put on on human connection. Mm-hmm. And 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 human collaboration that it will mean more than in the future than ever before, because we will have these interactions that are not fully human. And so those moments where we can be fully human and 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 authentic with each other and truly connect in those in those high quality ways, I think will be exceptionally valuable for the future. So we need to figure out how to do that now. So what advice would you give the companies that are trying to put these things together, right? Because I think this is the time where HR departments or companies as a whole are saying, okay, we're going to do a five-year plan. We're going to do a 10-year plan. From your vantage point, what would you like them to be thinking about? I'm working on developing new ways of learning and new ways of learning about each other, new ways of learning about the world in which we operate, new ways of learning about our customers and developing a learning culture. And when we do that, we approach it with that growth mindset, mm-hmm. we open up all kinds of possibilities for how we can engage each other. So putting those those pieces into place, and that that's about how we run meetings. That's about the kinds of capabilities that we bring into an organization, bringing in anthropology, bringing in sociology, bringing in psychology, um, bringing in some of the social sciences, uh, in addition to the, the engineering. And putting those together uh, with a, a relationship of parity so that we're, we're really understanding what the human experience is. Because the, 
you know, the engineering research, for example, is, is limited in its ability to understand the subjective experience of a human. The scientific method isn't designed to do that very well. So embedding social sciences in an organization is the way forward to, to create all those opportunities for authentic human connection and be a human-centered and data-driven organization. Do you see generational changes being part of this? And I bring this up because I hear more and more that Gen Z or millennials maybe want something more of organizations perhaps than the paycheck. And maybe that's being young and being a little naive, but it's also real in that people are looking for purpose and they're being a little bit picky about where they work. I think that is true. And that I talked earlier about flexibility, but one of the other main themes is, is purpose. Uh, because, you know, during the pandemic, this changed a lot because people were suddenly thinking about community health. They're thinking about individual health. And, and of course, it radically changed how we worked. And the it, it meant that we're sort of having to engage differently. We're having to create different kinds of experiences for people that are meaningful and purposeful. And I, and often companies are talking about their, their company mission. Mm-hmm. But we also need to sponsor individual purpose within the larger context of a mission-driven organization. Is there a practical way to do that? Because I hear the words a lot, but you know, some companies are more successful than others in making it happen. I think that's true. For me, it goes back to listening and, and giving people the opportunity to do that. And one thing that can help is that because there is, and we can't call it work-life balance anymore, because there is work blurs or, or, or work-life bleed, as some folks more uh, uh, phrase it. Um, I think that organizations need to support people within, within work and beyond. It's sort of help people make that transition so that they're able to, to feel purpose at work, but also purpose uh, in their communities. And some organizations are doing that. They're allowing, for example, at Cisco, uh, 10 days a year where we're giving, we're giving back to our communities in the ways that we choose, the ways that we find valuable and bringing sort of whatever skills and capabilities we have to the work that's most meaningful to us. So there are very clear-cut ways to do that. And Cisco happens to be uh, exceptionally um, good at, at making that happen, creating the structure and the support, the explicit support for that. Well, that's great. And, you know, I do hear more and more about this. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few years. Sometimes these things change with the economy or change with some of the bigger trends. Um, no, what are the other trends that, that strike you now? As we're, we're three years after the pandemic shook up work quite a bit. And, you know, we're on the verge of tech change. What are the other things you would say to people to be aware of? One thing that I'm thinking a lot about right now is what does it feel like to work in a remote context or a hybrid context? And and it can feel rather flat. It can lack the dynamism that that makes people feel alive and engaged. And, you know, a lot of sameness in the digital experience. Can, you can kind of get lost in that space. It's like getting lost in a work desert or something like that because they're, they're not the landmarks to orient to. And so there are a lack of these contextual clues. And so that really became a problem in the beginning of the pandemic when, when people were trying to replicate the long meetings that they had before the pandemic online. 
and it was just back to back meetings and no time for a break. And and what that meant was that when it came time to act, decision makers didn't have the landmarks that they needed to remember what the context was for the decision that they now needed to make. And so um, I'm thinking a lot about this, that memory is inherently context dependent. And so we have to think about you know, what happens if all of the context looks the same? What does that mean for innovation? And how might we then best present information? How might we transfer knowledge within our organizations in this, in this world? And so I think that one of the things that we're going to need to explore is, is neuroscience. How does the brain engage in these new digital spaces and remote spaces of work? Final question, Elizabeth. When you look forward five years or maybe 10 years, are you optimistic? Do you think this will come together in a way that's positive for human beings? I love that question. Well, I'm a very optimistic person. So I I am very optimistic about about what is possible for work because um, workers are now voicing, uh, they feel a sense of agency and they're expressing their needs. And there's this, there's, they've had the experience of having flexibility and autonomy, and they're bringing that experience into the current day and, and voicing what their needs are for the future. So as long as managers and are opening up to those conversations and asking the right questions, I think that we can chart a path forward that, that is highly productive and, and um, meaningful for humans going forward. Well, I certainly hope so. Elizabeth, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Elizabeth Simmons is Senior Anthropologist and Futurist at Cisco. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Lisbeth and her work, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on X, which used to be Twitter, at, at @relentlesseco. Now, if you did like this conversation about the future of work, please take a moment, leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That will really help people to find us, and that will help keep these conversations going. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future, and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.